Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door out in the open street, and they untied it. And those who stood there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments on the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. Hosanna in the highest. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who as an example of humility for the human race to follow, caused our Saviour to take flesh and submit to the cross. Graciously grant that we may heed his lesson of patient suffering, and so merit a share in his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord has given me a disciple's tongue, so that I may know how to reply to the wearied he provides me with speech. Each morning he wakes me to hear, to listen like a disciple. The Lord has opened my ear. For my part, I made no resistance. Neither did I turn away. I offered my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who tore at my beard. I did not cover my face against insult and spittle. The Lord comes to my help, so that I am untouched by the insults. So, too, I set my face like flint. I know I shall not be shamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? All who see me deride me. They curl their lips, they toss their heads. He trusted in the Lord, let him save him. Let him release him, if this is his friend. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Many dogs have surrounded me, a band of the wicked beset me. They tear holes in my hands and my feet. I can count every one of my bones. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? They divide my clothing among them. They cast lots for my robe. O Lord, do not leave me alone. My strength make haste to help me. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
I will tell of your name to my brethren and praise you where they assembled. You who fear the Lord, give him praise. All sons of Jacob, give him glory. Revere him, Israel's sons. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. His state was divine, yet Christ Jesus did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave and became as men are. And being as all men are, he was humbler yet, even to accepting death, death on a cross. But God raised him high and gave him the name which is above all other names, so that all beings in the heavens, on earth and in the underworld, should bend the knee at the name of Jesus, and that every tongue should acclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Christ became obedient for us, even to death, dying on the cross. Therefore God raised him on high, and gave him a name above all other names. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to Mark It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by some trick and have him put to death. For they said, It must not be during the festivities, or there will be a disturbance among the people. Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. He was at dinner when a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the ointment on his head. Some who were there said to one another indignantly, Why this waste of ointment? Ointment like this could have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were angry with her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why are you upsetting her? What she has done for me is one of the good works. You have the poor with you always, and you can be kind to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what was in her power to do. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. I tell you solemnly, wherever throughout the whole world the good news is proclaimed, what she has done will be told also in remembrance of her. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, approached the chief priests with an offer to hand Jesus over to them. They were delighted to hear it and promised to give him money, and he looked for a way of betraying him when the opportunity should occur. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him and say to the owner of the house which he enters, The master says, Where is my dining room in which I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished with couches, all prepared. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. 
And while they were at table eating, Jesus said, I tell you solemnly, one of you is about to betray me, one of you eating with me. They were distressed and asked him one after another, Not I, surely. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping into the same dish with me. Yes, the Son of Man is going to his fate, as the Scriptures say he will. But alas for that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, he took some bread. And when he had said the blessing, he broke it and gave it to them. Take it, he said, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had returned thanks, he gave it to them, and all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant which is to be poured out for many. I tell you solemnly, I shall not drink any more wine until the day I drink the new wine in the kingdom of God. After psalms had been sung, they left the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all lose faith, for the scripture says, I shall strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. However, after my resurrection, I shall go before you to Galilee. Peter said, Even if all lose faith, I will not. And Jesus said to him, I tell you solemnly, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will have disowned me three times. But he repeated still more earnestly, If I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And they all said the same. They came to a small estate called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Stay here while I pray. Then he took Peter and James and John with him, and a sudden fear came over him and great distress. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Wait here and keep awake. And going on a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass him by. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me, but let it be as you, not I, would have it. He came back and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Had you not the strength to keep awake one hour? You should be awake, and praying not to be put to the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came back and found them sleeping. Their eyes were so heavy, and he could find no answer for them. He came back a third time and said to them, You can sleep on now and take your rest. It is all over. The hour has come. Now the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. My betrayer is close at hand already. Even while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up with a number of men armed with swords and clubs, sent by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the traitor had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss, he had said, he is the man. Take him in charge and see his and see he is well guarded when you lead him away. So when the traitor came, he went straight up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
the others seized him and took him in charge. Then one of the bystanders drew his sword and struck out at the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus spoke. Am I a brigand, he said, that you had to set out to capture me with swords and clubs? I was among you teaching in the temple day after day, and you never laid hands on me. But this is to fulfill the scriptures. And they all deserted him and ran away. A young man who followed him had nothing on but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the cloth in their hands and ran away naked. They led Jesus off to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes assembled there. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's palace, and was sitting with the attendants warming himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus on which they might pass the death sentence, but they could not find any. Several, indeed, brought false evidence against him, but their evidence was conflicting. Some stood up and submitted this false evidence against him. We heard him say, I am going to destroy this temple made by human hands and in three days build another not made by human hands. But even on this point, their evidence was conflicting. The high priest then stood up before the whole assembly and put this question to Jesus. Have you no answer to that? What is this evidence these men are bringing against you? But he was silent and made no answer at all. The high priest put a second question to him. Are you the Christ, he said, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes. What need of witnesses have we now, he said. You heard the blasphemy. What is your finding? And they all gave their verdict. He deserved to die. Some of them started spitting at him and, blindfolding him, began hitting him with their fists and shouting, Play the prophet! And the attendants rained blows on him. While Peter was down below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's servants' girls came up. He saw Peter warming himself there, stared at him and said, You too were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I do not know, I do not understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. The servant girl saw him and again started telling the bystanders, This fellow is one of them. But again he denied it. A little later the bystanders themselves said to Peter, You are one of them, for sure. Why, you're a Galilean. But he started calling down curses on himself and swearing, I do not know the man you speak of. At that moment the cock crew for a second time. And Peter recalled how Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will have disowned me three times. And he burst into tears. First thing in the morning, the chief priests, together with the elders and scribes, in short, the whole Sanhedrin, had their plan ready. They had Jesus bound and took him away and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? It is you who say it, he answered. 
and the chief priests brought many accusations against him. Pilate questioned him again, Have you no reply at all? See how many accusations they're bringing against you. But, to Pilate's amazement, Jesus made no further reply. At festival time, Pilate used to release a prisoner for them, anyone they asked for. Now, a man called Barabbas was then in prison with the rioters who had committed murder during the uprising. When the crowd went up and began to ask Pilate the customary favour, Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realised that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over. The chief priests, however, had incited the crowd to demand that he should release Barabbas for them instead. Then Pilate spoke again. But in that case, he said to them, what am I to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate asked them. What harm has he done? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So Pilate, anxious to placate the crowd, released Barabbas for them and, having ordered Jesus to be scourged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away to the inner part of the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called the whole cohort together. They dressed him up in purple, twisted some thorns into a crown and put it on him. And they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed and spat on him. And they went down on their knees to do him homage. And when they had finished making fun of him, they took off the purple and dressed him in his own clothes. They led him out to crucify him. They enlisted a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, father of Alexander and Rufus, who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he refused it. Then they crucified him and shared out his clothing, casting lots to decide what each should get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription giving the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. The passers-by jeered at him. They shook their heads and said, Aha, so you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Then save yourself. Come down from the cross. The chief priests and the scribes mocked him among themselves in the same way. He saved others, they said. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now for us to see it and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. When the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you deserted me? When some of those who stood by heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling on Elijah. Someone ran and soaked a sponge in vinegar and, putting it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, 
Wait and see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The centurion who was standing in front of him had seen how he had died and said, In truth, this man was a son of God. There were some women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary of Magdala, Mary who was the mother of James the Younger and Joseph, and Salome. These used to follow him and look after him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women there who had come up to Jerusalem with him. It was now evening, and since it was preparation day, that is, the vigil of the Sabbath, there came Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself lived in the hope of seeing the kingdom of God, and he boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate, astonished that he should have died so soon, summoned the centurion and inquired if he was already dead. Having been assured of this by the centurion, he granted the corpse to Joseph, who bought a shroud, took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the shroud and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of stone. He then rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary of Magdala and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching and took note of where he was laid. So Palm Sunday's, it's such a day of extremes. You know, the first gospel we hear, you know, at the beginning before, uh, before we have the procession of the palms, right? It proclaims this, you know, wild enthusiasm of the people of Jerusalem. Um, and then we hear the complete inverse during the proclamation of the Passion. Instead of being acclaimed as king, Jesus is accused of claiming to be a king. And he's condemned to death as a result. And so the crowd go from in such a short time from Hosanna to crucify him. It's extraordinary when you stop and think about it. Mind you, I suppose, you know, with the advent of social media, we, we see how quickly a mob forms and, and how quickly public opinion comes to be dominated by a few vocals. Well, what's the deal with this change? How can we swing from one extreme to another so quickly? Well, we know well that Israel was expecting a messiah. They're expecting the return of the king, a king like the greatest of kings, David. Now, David really was the high point of all the kings of Israel. You know, he took possession of the city of Jerusalem. He made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Um, and of course, you know, the Ark, that was the definitive sign of God's holy presence among his people. And so Jerusalem became not only the heartland for the Israelites politically, but the dwelling place of God. And King David, he drove out the enemies of Israel. And, you know, for that brief moment in history, Israel had a more or less righteous king. But through history, we see that the kingship of Israel, it becomes corrupt. And there's this sort of ever-worsening succession of bad kings um, to the point where there's even a split in the kingdom. And that happens pretty quick, right? After David, you get Solomon. After Solomon, you get Rehoboam, and he just makes a mess of everything. 
kingdom splits, 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south, uh, into the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. And Judah sticks with the line of David. Um, Israel to the north, they, they just pick their own guy. So there you go, right? Divided kingdom. Um, kings getting more and more corrupt. Uh, and, you know, the practices of the temple were becoming corrupt. Um, and then, you know, you get prophets. Prophets coming and saying, Oi, it's not supposed to be like this. Uh, and the prophets then also teach Israel to expect a new king. A new king, David, a Messiah, an anointed one, right? Kings were anointed ones, right? Um, so were prophets and priests, all, you know, anointed ones. But that there would be an anointed one who'd, you know, take back Jerusalem, clean it up, destroy the enemies of Israel, unite what was divided, and allow the temple to be once again the true dwelling place of God. I mean, listen to what the prophet Zechariah says about the Messiah who's to come. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Right? Zion being, you know, one of the hills on which Jerusalem is built, right? Like the, the hill of the temple. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. So, you know, the people of Jerusalem having a hope in Jesus that he was the Messiah, see him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they go nuts. At last our king is here. The day has come when the new David, he'll put down the enemies of Israel, he'll restore the glory of Jerusalem, and then they lay down their cloaks in front of Christ. A sign of humility, a sign of subjection to the king, a sign that you are placing yourself under the rule of the king. You know, it's interesting in the book of Maccabees, um, to celebrate the victory of Israel, they, they wave palms. Um, and, you know, there's a sign here that, that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the king's city, as a victorious king. And, you know, this is what they cry, like, Hosanna to the son of David. That's so suggestive. And not five days later, the crowd shouts, crucify him. Why? What shifted? Well, I suppose, you know, we could probably look into this question for days. But at some level, their expectations are disappointed. They expected one kind of king, and Jesus didn't turn out to be that kind of king. Maybe they wanted a king who would take up the sword and drive out the enemies of Israel. Instead, Jesus is the one who tells Peter to put his sword away. You know, they expect a Messiah to conquer the Romans. Um, but he doesn't. The crowds acclaimed him, shouting, Hosanna, which means save us, right? Hosanna, son of David, calling him the son of David, laying down their cloaks on the ground. The crowd are acclaiming him as king. Flash forward five days and the crowd are baying for his blood. They reject their king, choosing a criminal like Barabbas instead. Even his disciples flee. 
And Peter not only denies Christ as his king, he even denies him being his friend. I do not know the man. The soldiers dress Jesus in the royal colour in purple. And they mock the king. And in a sacrilegious fever, they plait a crown of thorns, paying him homage. Hail, they say, king of the Jews. And in one of the greatest ironies, Jesus is nailed to the cross and his title is inscribed above him, Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews. Jesus expires on the cross, breathes his last, with only his mother and a couple of friends. But the irony is that all the mocking that Jesus endures during his passion, it's all true. Jesus is the king of the Jews, just not what the crowds expect. They turn on him in disappointment, but he does come to conquer the enemies of Israel, not the measly Romans. They're, they're, they're a pittance. But the true enemies of humanity, which are sin and death. Jesus doesn't come to restore the temple, you know, the building of stone and wood in Jerusalem, but the temple the true dwelling place of God. It's not bricks and mortar. It's his body. He comes to build the new temple, the body of the church. Pilate, the soldiers, the chief priests, the scribes, they think they're mocking Christ by calling him king. But the great irony is that they're right. He is. And the joke's on them. So we're beginning the holiest week of the year, this week when we'll walk step by step with our Lord Jesus. All the mockery he received through this week, it was there to insult him. But out of ignorance, they proclaim the truth. So let's live this week alongside our suffering Christ and let our faith and love be a consolation to him in his passion. Where Christ is beaten and mocked for being a king, let's this week acclaim him as our king. Where Christ is abandoned by his disciples, let's remain especially close to him this week in our hearts. Where Jesus suffers the treachery of the betrayer's kiss, let's console him with the kiss of our love and devotion. Let's live this holy week in close communion with our suffering Christ. Let's enter this week with faith to be an antidote to the soldier's mockery, with love to be the antidote to Jesus' abandonment by his disciples. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.